lesson is called The Great Escape, a walk through the book of Exodus. Uh, last week in our message, A Test of Faith, Moses and Aaron went, went before Pharaoh on God's behalf to request the release of the Israelites, but things did not go as they expected. Uh, not only were the Israelites not released, but they were punished with increased labor and hardships. As a result of this turn of events, the Israelites who had supported Moses and Aaron turned against them, and everything Moses thought was going to happen seemed to fall apart right before his eyes. In a moment of discouragement, Moses said this last week in Exodus 5.23 to God, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. So as we pick up our story in chapter 6, we will see God's patience displayed as he encourages Moses in the midst of the crisis in our message today titled, Shaping of Faith. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And uh, God, I thank you so much for this opportunity that you have blessed me with. Uh, God, I do not take it for granted or take it lightly. Uh, Lord, as I stand before these people, I feel completely inadequate. But Lord, at the same time, I have absolute peace because I know that you are here with us now. I would ask God that you will guide my words, Lord, they not be you know, what I would choose to share, but the very words that you've placed upon my heart. God, help this to be a message, Father, where I disappear. And Lord, that you show up loud and clear. God, we love you. Thank you for what you have done, and thank you, Lord, for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Exodus chapter number 6, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13. Exodus chapter 1, it says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. So Pharaoh's not going to give up without a fight, is what he's saying. But bottom line is, through my strength, we will see that he will bow. The Lord has asked Moses here to trust in what he tells him, and not what he sees, okay? And this is an important factor for us, as well as an important factor for Moses, because there have been times when Moses has expressed a little bit of faith. We had our message, Steps of Faith and Tests of Faith. Well, look at this. He trusted God to go and return to Egypt. That was pretty good. Now, it took a little bit of convincing, but eventually he did. He trusted God in presenting the Israelites, going there and telling them the story of what God had told him. He presenting it to the Israelites. And with Aaron's help, he was able to do that. He had a little bit of faith. He trusted God in completing and actually going before the Pharaoh of the land. He had the trust and the willingness to do that, again, with a little bit of support and a little bit of encouragement. So what God hears uh, is, is God simply telling Moses, look, there's an expectation that Moses has of how things are going to go. And when things don't go his way is when his faith gets a little shaky. In essence, the Lord is asking Moses to trust what he is told by God and not what he sees in his circumstances. That's hard. That's hard because it talks about what we're trying to do is we're trying to hold on to promises that God's given us, take them to and focus them as most important in our circumstance. But what happens in life is things seem pretty important, seem pretty big. Crisis comes and all of a sudden we lose sight of what God said and we simply look at the result. And when it talks about what we're looking at, it can, also, it can be what we're looking at, what we see, what we're focused on. But it's also where our, where our, 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 our mind and our heart is focused. Right? It may be something that I see in a circumstance, but at the same time, where is it have I got my focus? Because if I'm focused upon the, uh, the, the, the heart of God, if I'm focused on the truth of the Word of God, well, guess what? That becomes forefront in my mind and in my heart. But what happens is a circumstance comes along or something in my life that maybe I don't have control over, and I shift my focus there, and then I start to lose sight of God. In Lamentations 3.51, there's a little lesson here. It says, mine eye affecteth mine heart. So what I see directly affects the way I feel, 
right? So that's a weakness in humanity because unfortunately when what we see becomes pretty important to us and we kind of lose sight of the promise, right? While everything is going in his favor, he has no problem trusting God, but when his expectations are not met, it begins to waver. Now, are there instances in our lives where it is easier to have faith than in others? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what it comes down to is this. It's really what's at stake, right? What's at stake? So many times, we, you know, there's certain areas of our lives where we go, man, I got no problem trusting God. But what about things like, it's a good example, finances. Anybody else struggle with that? Right? That's one of those ones that, man, for whatever reason, it becomes very difficult for us to trust God with our finances. As if he does not know every detail of our life, exactly how much money's in the account down to the penny, more so than we know. Knows what bills are coming up, what bills are going to be due, what debt you have, what your credit card bills are, what payments are going to be made on the car, things are going to break down in the house. He already knows all those things, right? And what I thought about, I was like, you know what? It'd be really great to hear this from God's perspective, what he's talking about this aspect. And you know what? What's really cool is he told us exactly what he thinks in Matthew chapter number 6. Verses 25 through 33, Jesus says himself, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. He says, look, you're so focused on the physical, but what I'm telling you is, isn't there a lot more to life than the physical? Take your eyes off of this stuff and focus here because the spiritual is what he's trying to do. He's trying to shift them into the spiritual. He says, but behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? He says, look, if God can provide for all the animals and meet their needs, and you're his child, would he not meet the needs in your life? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? He gives this kind of a, kind of a fun example. He says, look, if you're short and you're going to worry about it, is it going to make you any taller? If you're too tall and you're upset about it, is it going to make you shorter? No. So why waste your time worrying about things you cannot control? Verse number 28, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they reap. It says, do not worry. Provision is part of God's creation and a part of God's will. Wherefore, if God so clothed, and it says, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Why are you worrying? Why do you doubt? Verse number 31. They, therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whither all shall we be clothed? Stop worrying about these things you can't control, or that are in my control. For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. He says, look, God already knows all of the needs. You're not surprising him by going, Oh, God, did you know I got this bill coming up? And he's like, Ah, geez, I missed that one. No. He knows, man. He's got it covered. And look at this last verse. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He says, guess what? Guess what? If you will live for me, I will provide for you. It's a pretty simple concept. And Jesus told us himself, you want to know what these things? He's saying, look, why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? How many of us worry on a regular basis? Be honest. I was about to say a lot more hands should go up, right? We do. We worry. We're constantly in worry. And what happens is how do we know if our faith is weak in an area? Based upon the amount of worry and the amount of fear that we experience in that area. It's like a dashboard indicator light, right? 
If your oil's bad, the oil light comes on. Well, guess what? If you've got an area of your life that's, that need, your, your faith is weak, guess what? That worry and that fear is an indicator light in your life going, you know what? I need to work on my faith in trusting God in this area. Now, Moses at this point in time, he is riddled with fear. He is riddled with doubt. Everything is, is falling apart in front of him. Verse number two. And, and God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Remember, who's talking to you, Moses? In this moment, you need not have confidence in yourself. You need to have confidence in me. Remember who I am. Focus on me. I am sovereign. I am the covenant maker. I'm the miracle worker. I am the Lord. Be confident in me, Moses, not in yourself. Verse 3. And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But my name, but my name Jehovah, was I not known to them. What he's saying here is, look, you know what? I had a relationship with your forefathers, but it's not going to be nearly as intimate as a relationship I'm going to have with you. Moses, you're going to know me like no one's ever known me. This is special, boy. Pay attention. Listen. Learn. Trust me. I love you. Psalm 83.18 says this, That men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah art the most high over all the earth. Isaiah 12.2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is, check what it says, Become my salvation. Man. Isaiah 26, 4, trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Though they know him, the forefathers knew him as a covenant maker. But see, Moses is going to get to see him be a covenant fulfiller. He's going to watch God work and see things that no one's ever seen before. Not only do we get to see the covenant fulfilled, but he gets to see the miraculous, miracle, powerful hand of God working right before him. I mean, this is an amazing opportunity that Moses has got, and yet Moses is struggling through it all. Verse number four, And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were in the past strangers. So they witnessed partial fulfillment, the forefathers, in the fact that they did possess the land, right? They saw that part of it. And let's look back just a little bit in time here. In Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's the promise that God made to Abram, who became Abraham. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that... I want you to notice this word, these two words, I will show thee. This is promise. These things... And what's interesting about the tense of that, it's said as if it's already been accomplished, okay? That I will. And it says, and, it says, uh, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will... Make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy, thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. He says, look, there's something coming, man. There's something coming here. He's established that covenant with them. And look at this. Now, after some tests of faith and some tests of obedience, Abraham goes, and this promise is fulfilled in Genesis 13, right? He says this. God tells him, he says, look, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. A promise made to him. So the Israelites, the patriarchs, they had possessed the land, right? Now what's interesting is this 600, where we are right now, where Moses is standing and he's talking to, to God. 646 years later is where that promise is given, right? And God's trying to remind him 
of the fact that when I make a promise, I don't make the promise to not fulfill it. I make it to fulfill it, right? And I thought about, let's look at a timeline kind of this as how it kind of worked out. If we look at the timeline of how things work from Genesis 12 all to where we are today, Genesis 12, the covenant is made with Abraham, okay? Six years later, in Genesis 13, Abraham possesses the land of Canaan. He arrives. Nineteen years later, in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. Sixty years later after that, now Jacob and Esau are born, and that's in Genesis 25, and they're born to Isaac and to Rebekah. Then 90 years later, in Genesis 30, Jacob now has all 12 of his sons, Ten years after that, in Genesis 36, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Genesis 46, Jacob uh, slash Israel moves his family to Egypt. We know because of the famine that's coming. Now, 75 years later, the Israelites have made Egypt their home. Okay? They decided not to leave. The famine was gone, and they said, you know what? It's comfortable here. Goshen's a pretty sweet area. This is pretty nice. You know what? We're kind of getting used to this area. they got plenty of leeks and garlic. This is pretty good stuff. I like the food. You know, the Egyptians are pretty nice folks. But then that shifts, right? Doesn't that change? And then what happens, that thing, their very what used to be their home becomes a place of bondage for them. And then in Exodus 2, Moses, uh, and this is going to be 80 years after that. We're in 1525 B.C., and uh, so now Moses, 275 years later, Moses is born, 275 years after they decide to stay. And now, where we stand today in Exodus 3, we know that now at this point in time, Moses is, is, this is 80 years after his birth. So we've locked this long, long chain, 646 years from the original giving of that promise. And God is reminding him, saying, look, hold on to the promise. I don't break my promises. If I tell you I will do it, I will do it. Moses, hold on to the promise. Verse number five. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant, reminding him of where it is. God is refocusing Moses to draw him out of his emotional freak out, right? Because what happens is he's all jacked up because of what's happened around him. He's seeing the things in the situation, and he gets all worried and scared, and God's saying, ah, refocus. Refocus, refocus. Because what happens is Moses gets on track and then something happens and he gets off track. And then he gets on track and he gets off track. That's you and I, isn't it? Are there days, man, when you're, you're walking with God, you're like, man, I'm kicking it today, man. We're on track, man. Me and God were like, mm, we got it. A couple days later, you're like, man, I don't know. If, where's my Bible? <laughs> man. When's the last time I prayed, right? And we drift away. It doesn't happen all at once, but sometimes it can be a circumstance. Something can happen in your life and make you question God, make you forget the promises of God. And Moses vacillates back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But this is the key. He's trying to tell Moses, hang on to the truth. It does not change. God himself says he does not change. In Malachi 3, he says, for I am the Lord, I change not. I do not change. If I promised it then, I promise it today, son. You can hold it. It's written down, buddy. It's already been accomplished. I'm saying I will as it is accomplished. We must shift our focus off of what we see, no matter how, in, how intimidating and focus on what God has promised us. If we don't know what God's promises are, well, that's a problem. Because guess where his, problem, where his promises are? They're in here. So if you go, well, I mean, I mean, I'm going through all kinds of hard times. I've got my life is up down, and I got all these things happening. What, do you, what promises? 
What am I supposed to hold on to this? All I do see is my circumstances. If you don't know this word and if you can't find the promises, guess what? That's a problem. You need to look them up and find them. Find something that helps you to have a foundation. Help him to be the rock in your life, the foundation. Like we talk about building your house upon the rock or building it upon the sand. This is the rock, man. Because storms will come. I guarantee you that's a part of life. It's a part of the process. Today's about shaping faith, right? Storms are a part of the shaping process. God allows them in your life to help you to learn to trust him. It is a part of who we are and what our experiences, experience was designed to be. Why is it important to know these things? Okay? Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Hid in my heart, meaning I have read this. I've consumed it as the Jews. The Jews, the Hebrews would talk about the fact that they said they would eat it. Right? And they were talking about consuming something, something. When they, took, when they brought in knowledge, they swallowed it. They talked about eating it because it was saying, you know what? I'm going to make it a part of me. A part of me. And what we have here is an example. We're saying, look, you know what? Make it a part of who you are. God's word not only strengthens and encourages, but it shapes us. This word will reprove you. It will straighten you out if you are wrong. It'll show you where you've gone right and where you've gone wrong, and it'll help you to get on track. It's a process that God's working in Moses, but it's the same thing he does in us. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, A study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not to be ashamed, right? Rightly dividing the word of truth. That little part right there, rightly dividing the word of truth, is extremely important. Because we live in a world full of people that do not rightly divide the truth. Right? That means that you study this word. Notice it doesn't say read it. It says study to show thyself approved. Learn it. Pour yourself into it. Let it change you. Now, because, 2 Peter 3.16, Peter says this, as also in all his epistles, he's, refer he's referencing Paul. He says in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Peter says, look, I know there's things that are written Scripture that was inspired by the Word of God, by, by, by the Spirit of God, that sometimes it's hard to follow. It's hard to understand, and it takes time to study it, right? He says, which they that are unlearned and unstable, notice this word right here. It says, rest. That's a root word of the word wrestle, right? That means to force something out of where it's supposed to be. That means these people that are unlearned, right, these unlearned and these unstable people take the Word of God and they wrench it out of context and they fit it into something else and they try to teach you a biblical truth that is inaccurate because they're not working the Word. But check what it says, right? It says, and they do also the other scriptures, the whole script, the whole Bible, unto their own destruction. There are cults out there right there, to, out there today that are telling you all kinds of things that are not biblically accurate, and they're, guess what? Their very salvation is in the balance because they're teaching improper doctrine. They tell you that your salvation and your baptism are designed to be together, and you're not saved unless you've been baptized. That's an inaccurate, non-doctrinal truth. Bottom line is, if you're saved, if you never go to get baptized, guess what? You are still saved. The thief on the cross, Jesus said to him, this day I will see you on paradise. I'd like to see them get him down and baptize him before he died on that cross. <laughs> it ain't going to happen, man. For by faith and faith alone, for by grace you are saved through faith and the not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It ain't about you and it's not about works. That is an act of obedience to God. Every cult that's out there is using the Bible 
in their teaching takes a biblical truth and wrestles it out of its context to support false teaching. It is very important to know the truth. That's one of the things that this church was founded on, making sure we teach the truth and help you to understand the truth as well. The whole goal is to teach you to have dependence upon this word, not upon me, not upon the church, but upon this Bible, upon this word, because this will never fail you. We will fail you. There's no doubt about it. Just it's coming. Be prepped. All right. John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said this. It says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you are in the oppression of fear and doubt, freedom is available to you through the truth of the word of God. The Lord's reminding Moses of the promises he's already told him, and this is crucial. God has to do this for us as well. Consider this in 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Peter says this, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him, right? Through him, which would be Jesus Christ. Another name for another word for Jesus would be, or another name would be the word, because we know that he is the word from John 1. And it says, that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He says, look, there are these beautiful promises that are in the word of God, and I want you to focus on them. Check this out, verse number 12, a little further down. He says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. He says, even though I know you know these truths, and even though you may be children of God, I'm reminding you of the promises that God's given us. And look at verse number 13. Yet I think it meet. Meet means profitable. I think it's profitable as long as I am in this tabernacle. He's talking about this tabernacle. He's talking about his flesh. He says, as long as I'm alive, man, as long as I'm alive. Look, he says, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Hang on to the promises because life is hard. Hang on to the promises because things are going to come up. Because of the world we live in, there will be times when you will need to be reminded, every one of us, of who you serve, right? why we serve, who's in control, right? Things sometimes come into life and we go, why, why, why? If we can trust God and understand that God can use a negative, awful circumstance to develop a dependence upon him in our life and give us a closeness. Peter, who was up here playing music, has a testimony that is unbelievable, but he suffered incredible loss. And last Wednesday when we were talking and we were sitting in our Bible class on Wednesday and we're doing an amazing study in prayer. And he said, you know what? We, we talk about the way things work out in life and we, the way we'd like for them to go. And he said, you know what? Losing my mom and dad wasn't in my plan. But I always ask God to give me a close, close walk with him. And he said, and through that, I've never been closer to God. Not maybe the way we choose, but the result is God works in mysterious ways to give us what he wants for us. But when our flesh, it's tough and hard to remember these things. These reminders will come in one of three ways or in a combination of them. Through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, or through the people of God. Someone that you have around you that you can trust, a friend who will give you biblical counsel, right? It's important that we be careful of who we spend our time around and who we take advice from. Because you know what? Everybody, right? It's like ears. Everybody's got an opinion, right? 
Everybody's got it, man. No matter, no matter what you want to talk about, especially go on Facebook or something like that, buddy. Give people a little bit of anonymity, and man, they will lay it out on you. Right? And you're like, dude, I'm done. Ping, ping, ping. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. You win. Right? But what has him very, very important in Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise, walketh with wise men. Right? Wise. When it talks about wise, what does it mean? It means someone that seeks the Lord. Right? If any man need wisdom, let him ask of God. Right? James 1, 5. But it says, shall be wise by, it says, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. A fool is someone who denies God. If you have ungodly friends and you spend time around them, guess what they will influence you to do? Be ungodly. If you want to spend your time and grow in closer to Christ, spend time around people that are seeking the Lord. Simple, simple principle. And you know what's one of those things? When I was in college, I didn't really have that perception or that understanding, you know. I went to school, and there was a one semester there where I got a 0.0 as a GPA for that semester. Because what I started to do was, I was like, you know, I was in playing sports, and I was doing all this thing, and I started hanging out with all these people. It was so much fun. And their focus wasn't school. So pretty soon, my focus wasn't school. So pretty soon, it was just like, how much fun can you have? What can you do? What can you experience? I didn't get saved until 34 years old, folks. So, you know, it's just the way it is. I lived a completely different life prior to salvation. But I destroyed my GPA and took me an extra year in college to graduate with decent grades. But it was a matter of who did I choose to spend my time around. Be conscious of that, not only for yourself, but also for your kids and your grandkids. You want them to grow closer to God? Put them around people that will inspire them to do so. Luckily, in this instance, God is Moses' influence. So this is a good thing. Wherefore, verse number six, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and notice this, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Go back to the Israelites and reassure them that I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Basically, he's saying, you know, buckle up and get ready to see the impossible. Verse 7, I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I am God, the only God. I'm the creator, man. I'm going to give you a special relationship. Look at this. Just in this last little piece, I will bring you out. I will rescue you from bondage. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. Why is that significant? Because, you know, the problem was with these, these Israelites, they'd been in Egypt long enough that polytheism had worked its way into their life. Polytheism means you choose to have more than one God, right? So these, these Israelites, now what's happened is they've integrated this pagan culture into their own culture. So they've got God, the Hebrew God, and they've got these pagan gods also mixed in. And if you want to do a little bit of study on that, I can get Ezekiel 20, verses 5 through 10, is really God's kind of jumping on that subject matter, but he displays amazing mercy. But we're going to see a shining example of that, remember? The golden calf? That's going to be in what Exodus, uh, Exodus 32. There is a God that they make out of gold, right? So this polytheism is there. So he says, I will be your God, capital G-O-D. Trying to remind them of who they are. Verse number 8, and I will bring you, I will, Bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did, I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you, give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. Promises, 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 promises. Focus on the promises. Here's the original promise. Remember back in Genesis 13, 15. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. 
Now, perhaps more out of obedience than confidence in this instance, Moses does do what he's told, and he returns back to the children of Israel. And he knows basically what to say and is willing to at least try. Let's see how it goes for him. All right, verse number 9. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. They're so caught up in our circumstances that they cannot and will not listen. Hmm. Is it possible that Moses can relate? Yeah. This is what he's been struggling with this entire time. And yet we see the patience of God, right? We are witnessing the molding process of Moses. God is shaping him through his adversity. Some folks now understand this process for some of you guys is easy, right? Someone tells you, hey, you know, the Bible says this, and you read it for yourself and you go, hey, you know, no problem. I'm dropping that out of my life. Done. Cool. There's other people. Maybe we have a harder time. Maybe it's a slower, more arduous process. Maybe it's full of failure and full of pain because we're just not willing to relent or give up what we want accomplished. And it's a matter of obedience. And what we find here with Moses is the fact that God understands that failure is a part of his future, right? Moses is going to be dealing with what they call a stiff-necked people. That means stubborn. When they go out, man, when they head on out, there are many instances where they want to kill Moses. They turn against him, the Israelites, again and again and again. So God's preparing him and saying, look, you know what? This adversity that you're going through now is in preparation for what you're going to need to have faith in the future. Now, let's look at this. How does God describe his patience right here? Now, this would be in Exodus 34, 6. To give you a little bit of a little bit background, this is the second time that Moses has gone to receive the Ten Commandments. The first set of Ten Commandments he was given, he comes down, he sees the golden calf, he smashes them on the ground. He finally goes back up to God, right? And this time, let's, let's look, this is how God describes himself. Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, this is God calling it of himself, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, and long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness, and in truth. That's our God. That's our God. Not Moses' God, our God, the same God. He is full of mercy and grace. And so if you are a failure at life, like many of us have been failures in life. We've not succeeded like we hoped. It didn't go as we planned. When we were kids, we had an expectation of where our trajectory was going to get us, and we find that we're nowhere near that place. Yet God can take all the mess-ups and all the wrong turns, and He can redirect them and use them for His glory. And take your brokenness and take the mistakes that you've made and teach you from them and prepare you for a future that you don't even know is coming. And put people in your path that you need to touch and you don't realize today what God's going to do with what you believe today is a bad thing. And one day can show you as something beautiful. There are people sitting in this room that I know you've, your pain at one point in time in your life felt like it was the end of everything. But today as God has restored you and as God has strengthened you, it now becomes a way that you can reach out to someone else broken and relate to them on a level that no one else can. Ain't God awesome? Amen. That's our God because he is merciful and gracious and long-suffering man willing to wait on us through all of our 
idiocies, abundant in goodness and truth. Verse number 10, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse number 11, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. Notice that word, and he says, go in. He does not know, it's no longer really kind of just advising him. He's commanding him at this point. This is an order, go in, okay? Now, the Lord at this point is simply looking for obedience from him because he knows he can't trust him to walk by faith at this point because he just does not have the faith. So he says, look, just be obedient, go in. This is part of the shaping process. God, now understand, God has already promised him the outcome at this point in time nine times. God has told him that he will deliver them. Nine times he's heard that from God himself speaking to him, yet he is not listening. So it comes down to obedience. So verse number 12, And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of, of uncircumcised lips? Nobody's listened to me. And why should they? I mean, I, I got nothing going for me here. He's basically saying, God, let's look at the results. I've already gone and talked to them. I spoke to the Israelites twice. He went, yeah, it went great the first time. Then they turned against me. Then they were angry at me. Then they, they basically wanted to curse me. Now I've gone and talked to them again. They won't even hear me. Pharaoh basically was, was angry, and look what he did because of that. Now you want me to go back and talk to him again? This, this is, you're asking for the impossible. But see, that's where God flourishes in the impossible. It's those points in time when things don't feel like they could ever work out, and it's an impossibility that he shines at the greatest. Because guess what he gets in that time? Ultimate maximum glory. Yes. Amen. This life, we're supposed to bring glory to God. That doesn't mean every day is like, yeah, praise the Lord, everything's wonderful. <laughs> That's not the glory he's talking about. It's sometimes your brokenness yep. and the restoration through it brings glory to God. Amen. Your testimony in the midst of tragedy brings glory to God, right? That's what this life's about, not what we believe it to be, but we hold on to the promises of God. Moses can't go based upon what he sees. He's got to go based upon what God's telling him. Moses' faith at this point is weak at best. He has got a victim's mentality, and he simply wants to quit. He's floundering and fearful, even after all the times that God's told him, this is what's going to happen. I'm giving him promise, promise, promise. I will, 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 I will. But, 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 but. Right? And what's amazing is we look at where Moses is today in this story. and He is not an example of faith. Yet if we jump forward in the Bible, and you go to the book of Hebrews, and you go to chapter number 11, many people call this the hall of faith. Right? It's a list of people that stood by faith, man. Abraham. Abraham, a great example. Twelve verses God gives him in the book of Hebrews. Twelve verses about Abraham's faith. Unbelievable. Moses, seven verses. Seven verses talking about a man of faith. Noah, one. David, a man after God's own heart. He gets one verse and he gets to share it with six people. Yet Moses gets seven verses as an example of faith. And right there, we see a man with no faith, riddled with fear, weakness, and doubt. So if that's who you are, do not worry. There is hope. <laughs> God can do something miraculous in you. 
And the good news is that He's long-suffering. And then He'll walk with you the whole way. And if today you go, you know, I'm nowhere near where I need to be, it's okay, because He's not going, I'm done, I've tried, and I'm done. Look at Moses. Look at the patience with Moses. And this is not over, man. We're going to continue. And Moses is going to tend to be a mess up for the whole thing. And it's going to be a time before Moses starts to develop into that person. But it's the long-suffering of God and the patience of God and the grace of God that we see working in his life. Again, it's a process. The Lord is preparing Moses for the disappointment that he's going to face in the journey ahead. What Moses must understand is that God's plan will be accomplished. Look at this in verse number 13. He says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and, and unto Aaron and gave them a charge. That's an order. He says, like, I'm giving you a charge unto the children of Israel and unto, unto, unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land. He says, look, I'm not going to discuss it anymore. I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen, and you're going to do it. Do you understand me, Moses? Get to work. Because he's realized he's not going to walk by faith. All he can do is get him to go by obedience. And you know what? Sometimes obedience is all we can do. Sometimes you look at your circumstance and you go, look, I don't have any faith. But under the word says, I'm supposed to do this. You know what? I, I, I've tried talking to people about the Lord before, and it went terrible. I tried to share my faith, and it went awful. I mean, it was, it was terrible. I felt awful afterwards. I cried. I don't even leave the house. I'm scared. I had tracks in my car, but now I'm afraid somebody's going to see them in the window and ask me about them. I don't even know what to do. Uh. But obedience. Just do it. Just do it. Because guess what? You're not alone. God walks with us. And it's not us that do it. Moses is not going to do it. What has God told him again and again and again is, I will deliver them. I will. I will. He never says, you will. He never says, Moses, it's dependent upon you. He says, I will. I will. I will. Not you, Moses. I will. Just be obedient, son. Just do what I tell you to do and watch what happens. And that's us, man. We've got to learn to be obedient. Just do what God asks us to do. Walking by faith is not an easy thing to do, but it's a process of development. Your faith must be shaped. And the good news is that God doesn't give up on us. And He's willing to walk with us through the whole process. And little by little, day by day, mistake by mistake, misstep, whatever we choose to do, wrong turn. Yet through all of that, He pushes us back, pushes us back, and pushes us back to where we can be used of Him. Obedience is not always easy but it is absolutely instrumental in shaping our faith. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, uh, thank you for helping me today uh, to get out of the way. My desire, Lord, is to hear from you, and uh, thank you for speaking to my heart of no one else. This is about obedience, Lord. We've got to learn to just trust you. Gotta learn to walk by faith. But God, when that faith is not there, sometimes it's just gotta be obedience. And as Moses, as we see him in his example of failure right now, Lord, he will be an example of success. And Lord, I pray, God, that you help us, Lord, to, to realize, uh, God, that uh, failure is a part of the process. And Lord, learning, uh, God, through mistakes many times is the greatest way for us to adapt and to be shaped. Thank you for where you are directing us to, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the end result that you have planned for us. Thank you, God, that you see us for not who we are today, but, Lord, who we will become. And, God, I praise you for the fact that you are patient and gracious and long-suffering and abundant, Lord, in goodness and in truth. Thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Thank you, Lord, for guiding us through your word. Thank you, Lord, for what you're calling us to do, Lord, which is to be faithful to stand for you. 
God, you've placed a burden upon our hearts to share the Word of God with this world. There are broken people all around us that are in desperate need of a relationship with their Savior. You created them for that relationship. And God, you're calling out to them even now. No man cometh to God, yet the Father draw him. And God, you are drawing people even as I speak. And Lord, I pray that, Father, you'll do a work in hearts. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, nobody's looking around. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm broken. I'm broken. And I need restoration. I don't have a relationship with God. I know who God is. I may be religious. I have an understanding of Him. I might pray. I might read my Bible. But I can't tell you that I have a relationship with God. I don't know Him personally. But I want to. I want to feel His hand upon my heart and His, and His, and His power in my life to change me. I want to be restored. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I do not know this Lord. There was a day 17 and a half years ago, guys, when I did not know Christ. I was not raised in church. I didn't spend time in the Word of God. I had never even really prayed in my entire life. Never sat on service. And someone shared with me who Christ was and changed my life, changed my wife's life. And we have a relationship with Christ that can never be broken. And you can have that same relationship today. It says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's a matter of prayer, not of words, not a magic prayer, not a ceremony. It's a matter of the heart. God is calling out to broken hearts right now with a desire to restore. He wants to take your brokenness and use it in this world to touch other lives. But first, He wants to start with you. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, You've never prayed and asked Him to come in your heart and change you. You have that opportunity now. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from God. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Not out loud. You pray in your heart, in your mind. This is between you and Him. Nobody else. Quietly in our seats. I'm going to lead you in prayer. And if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you want to call out to Him by faith, and have him change your life, you have that opportunity to do so. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me in your heart and in your mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I've done things wrong. I've hurt others. I've hurt myself. And most importantly, I've hurt you. I'm so sorry. I come today broken and asking you to forgive me. Lord, apply your blood to my sin debt. Lord, save my soul, I beg you. I know that you are who you say that you are. And I thank you for your love. Come into my heart, save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus.